Thank you for listening to this teaching from the prayer room. For more teachings, notes, downloads, or to subscribe to our podcast as well as information about who we are and our upcoming events, visit our website at theprayerroomdfw.com. Intro to the Bowls of Wrath. So what we're going to do is uh, tonight is just an introduction because we've, we're going to spend multiple sessions going through the uh, Bowls of Wrath uh, found in Revelation chapter 15 and 16, mostly 16. And we're going to go through those, uh, those judgment events over the next several sessions. But tonight we want to talk about or do an introduction to these events. So um, that's what the point of tonight's going to be. Now, for those of you who've been tracking with us, we already did a session that was an introduction to the seals, trumpets, and bowls, um, but that's been months and months. And so tonight we're going to just give a little bit of a look at uh, the, the bowls of wrath and specifically with a passage of scripture, Revelation chapter 15, that is designed entirely to be an introduction to the bowls. So you actually find the bowl judgments in chapter 16, but chapter 15, it's a short chapter. Chapter 15 is all about uh, the introduction to those uh, judgments. And so that's what we're going to look at here. And if you guys remember, uh, in a previous session here recently, we did a session on the Song of Moses and the Song of the Lamb. Well, that's part of the introduction to the bowls. And so as we spent that session kind of looking at, you know, what is this song and how does that, uh, you know, what is it about? Uh, one of the primary components of, those, uh, of that song as we looked at it was the judgment component, the judgments at the end of the age in the, uh, the great tribulation period. Well, tonight we're going to give kind of a little bit of an overview of that um, as well as a, a jump in to a little bit of what those uh, actual judgments are going to be. So if you've got your notes, I'm in the middle of page one, I'm going to read you Revelation 15, one through eight. And again, that's the entirety of Revelation 15. It's a short chapter all about these bowls. All right. Revelation 15, one through eight. I saw in heaven another great and marvelous sign, seven angels with the seven last plagues. Last, because with them, God's wrath is completed. And I saw those that had been victorious over the beast. They had harps given them by God, and they sang the song of God's servant Moses and of the Lamb. Great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways. Now, this is all talking about the bowls. This is all talking about God's wrath. These seven uh, uh, angels, they've just been identified as, these are the seven angels with the last plagues, and then they start singing this song about God's ways are just and true. It's related to the judgments that are in the, seven hands, uh, the hands of these seven angels. Great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways. After this I looked and I saw in heaven the temple opened. Out of the temple came the seven angels with the seven plagues. And one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls filled with the wrath of God. And the temple was filled with the smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one could enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. So Revelation chapter 15 is an introduction to the next seven judgments that are about to happen, these seven bowls of wrath. And so as we're looking at this, you know, you're, there's a lot of pretty intense language here that we're going to look at. Again, the, uh, the seven bowls of wrath are the, the third 
uh, grouping or the third series of seven judgments. There were seven seals of the Lamb. There were seven trumpets. And now there's seven bowls of God's wrath. 21 events. And uh, each one of those events is layered. But each one of those judgments is an event that's got a lot going on. So you want to think about 21 judgment events that are in sequential order. Seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bowls. We already studied the seals and the trumpets. Now we're looking at the bowls. But the, uh, the context here, the timing is the seven trumpets have been blown before the first bowl is poured out because it goes in order. One, two, three, five, six, seven seals. One, two, three, five, six, seven trumpets. One, two, three, five, six, seven bowls. Well, we've, before the first bowl is poured out, and that's kind of where we're at here, about that time frame, before the first bowl is poured out, all of the trumpets have to have been blown. So where you're at in the, the timing of things here, this is an important trying to get back into the chronological storyline. Remember, that was a whole session. We talked about how the book of Revelation, if you know where the seals, trumpets, and bowls are, you've got a good skeletal structure to understand you're walking through the whole book of Revelation because those events are happening sequentially one after another. So if you know where you're at related to those judgments, you know where you're at in the storyline. Well, where we're at in the storyline here is the, the uh, trumpets are all over. They've all been blown and the bowls are, are starting. Now, in this uh, uh, top of page two, we're looking at Revelation 15, one through eight, as the initializing. It's the jump start. It's the spark. What starts the bowls? The bowls don't just get poured out randomly. What starts the bowls of wrath? What starts the bowls of wrath is actually these guys and gals in heaven singing the song of Moses and the Lamb. That's what initializes the bowls of wrath being poured out. First comes them singing that song, then comes the, the bowls, and not until. And so you're, you're looking at chapter 15 forever, if you can remember this. Chapter 15 is the initializer of the bowls. And it's really simple to, if you're you know, looking at uh, you know, where the words and such fall. The term bowls of wrath, the very first time it's ever used is in Revelation 15, the passage that we just read. So then in Revelation 16, when the bowls are actually being poured out, that's the follow-up to chapter 15. Chapter 15 is the first time the bowls of wrath are mentioned, at least by name. So chapter 15 and chapter 16, they go together. They're all about the bowls of wrath. But chapter 15, 1 through 8, we just read it, is the initializing. It's, it's what gets it started. And as we just saw, the scene is these seven angels are seen in heaven they're given these golden bowls of the wrath of God. And in the context of that, all the saints that are there before the throne in heaven, they start singing the song of Moses and the Lamb. And that's what actually initiates the pouring out of the bowls of wrath. Okay? All right. Well, let's look at that first phrase or uh, first sentence. Revelation 15 verse 1. That first sentence in, uh, in this chapter. Because it's just filled with pieces of information we want to look at. Revelation 15, 1, I saw in heaven another great and marvelous sign, seven angels with the seven last plagues, last, because with them, the seven bowls of wrath, God's wrath is completed. These are the last plagues. I want us to think about this. In all of human history, dating all the way back to the Genesis flood, there's always been in God's mind, in God's heart, there's always been a way to end the plagues. There's always been the final plagues. And that in his thought process, even when he's doing the flood, 
back in Genesis chapter 6, when he's doing the flood, he's got in mind this the last time he will do plagues. The flood was the first time he did plagues. He's got in mind all the way throughout human history the last time that he will do plagues. And it is these. These have been in his mind all that time that he would unleash these plagues on the earth. And it's all part of his perfect will, understanding. It's all part of the plan. Next, these plagues usher in the millennial kingdom of, uh, of Christ. They usher in the millennium. These are the, the kind of the, the final mile marker of the, the judgment series, of the major uh, you know, uh, components and a series of events. This is what is uh, ushering in the millennial kingdom of Christ. And this was always the plan, to, to make Jesus' entry to the planet the second time the loudest thing possible. We'll, uh, we'll spend some time, uh, when we get to chapter 19, in kind of that area, we'll spend some more time looking at what happens when Jesus actually appears. But right before he appears, these, uh, and even in the context of his appearing, these bowls are being poured out. These plagues are ushering in. They're kind of the, the mile marker. What happens before the second coming uh, and, and the, the millennial kingdom? Man, these bowls are being poured out in final, it's the final preparation for the earth before Jesus starts to reign and he establishes his kingdom, okay? Now his coming in the sky happens between the end of the trumpets and the beginning of the bowls because Jesus comes at the last trumpet. We all know that verse. Well, the last trumpet is the seventh trumpet. He comes at the seventh trumpet, but he doesn't establish his millennial kingdom in Jerusalem at the seventh trumpet. He is coming. Just imagine the scene here. Jesus is coming with all the angels and all this glory. And while he's marching to Jerusalem, these bowls of wrath are being poured out. Kind of imagine him walking straight and these bowls being poured out on the left and on the right and not touching him or any of his army. This is the most dramatic entry possible. I mean, this is so wild and loud. This is what marks the beginning of the millennium. It is a great and marvelous sign, John says. He says, after all he's seen, after everything John has witnessed, everything that he's recorded, he sees this and it's profound to him. He sees the angels and the bowls that they hold and he's taken back by the weight of what's about to transpire. He's seen the seals and he's seen the trumpets, but there's something about these bowls that the way he describes it is, I saw another great and marvelous sign. This was something profound to him. These are the angels with the last plagues. We've looked at this in sessions past. I believe it's clear that these are the seven archangels that stand before the Lord's uh, throne. These are, are the ones that are agents of his wrath at times. They're also defenders of his purpose. Uh, they, they are the primary angels of heaven. And here they're given the responsibility to pour out the bowls of wrath. Also, I want to point out, top of page three, it's seven more bowls of heaven. Now, we did a uh, session where we were talking in Revelation chapter 4 and Revelation 5, specifically 5, the bowls of incense that are before the throne. Now, for those of us that are in the prayer movement, we've been doing this house of prayer thing a little bit, and we're familiar with the concept of the harp representing worship and the bowl representing you know, incense and, and uh, an intercession to the Lord. We're pretty familiar with those bowls that are before the throne in heaven, the bowls of incense. I want to tell you that I think these seven bowls are at least as famous in heaven as those bowls, if they're not the same. Now, I'm not saying they're the same. 
I'm just saying they could be. But whether they are or aren't, I'm positive everybody knows what they are. In heaven, these bowls of wrath are very clear. Everybody knows what they are. They're fixtures. It's not like the very first time they were ever thought up is right before these bowls get poured out. Do you know how these bowls get filled? The same way the bowls of incense get filled. Stuff is put in them by activity of men on the earth. The, the wrath of God is being stored up into these bowls, and these bowls will then be poured out on the earth. So if you just happen to be a visitor in heaven, and you were looking around the throne room or whatever room it is that, these, uh, four, uh, that the four living creatures, it says, give them the bowls of wrath. So wherever they were located, right before they were given to the uh, seven angels, if you walked past there, you'd see these seven bowls of wrath, and I guarantee you everybody knew what they were. These are famous things in heaven. There might be uh, news to us. It might be new information to us. But the seven bowls of God's wrath, I mean, they're articles that are defined as belonging to God. They're God bowls. Whose bowls are That's God's. Well, what's in there? Don't ask. Those are the bowls of God's wrath. He stores up his wrath. Some consider God to be slow in, in bringing his judgment. He's not slow. He's storing. He's not slow. He's calculated. He is storing up the wrath in these bowls, and there is coming a day when they will be poured out. That's far more intense. These are not random bowls that just show up in Revelation 15. They are there now. They were there a thousand years ago. Those bowls are there. These are also the most dramatic and dynamic, arguably, of the plagues that uh, come forth uh, in the book of Revelation. So these final plagues, because remember, that's what uh, John made the point in Revelation 15, verse 1. He said, these are the final plagues, the last plagues. These are dynamic. They are powerful. Let's talk a little bit more about the wrath of God has finally come. Romans 2, verse 5, describes this uh, concept we've been talking a little bit about. But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. This is talking about the bowls, not only, but very specifically. Talking about the bowls of wrath. The day of God's judgment, the day of his wrath, the day where his bowls, called the bowls of God's wrath, are poured out. It's judgment, it's wrath that's being stored up in these bowls. I want to read it one more time. I want us to make sure we got this. Romans. I mean, this is the book of Romans. This is Paul going hardline theology. He's like, I want you to understand how this works. Sin gets stored up in bowls. He says this, because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath. It's not a separate storing up. It's not a different, it's put into those bowls when his righteous judgment will be revealed. Now, I just put it on here because I want you to, sometimes we become very un, uh, uncomfortable with subjects like the wrath of God. I mean, it's not exactly, you know, everybody's favorite uh, choice for songwriting uh, language. Talking about the wrath of God. But here's my thinking. If it's in the Bible, let's not be afraid of it. In fact, if you're afraid of it, that's bad. If you refuse to study something in the Bible, 
I don't mean like it's just not, you know, what you're into right now. That, that's okay. I'm, I'm into some things, and then later I'm into different things. But if you're like, no, I'm not going to look at that. I won't. I don't believe it. And it's in the Bible. You have a theological issue you need to overcome. Because the Bible can't lie. The Bible is good. The Bible is trustworthy. The Bible is right. So we don't need to, like, you know, pretend that certain things aren't in the Bible. And the wrath of God is, like, in the Bible a lot. It's a vast subject. It's kind of one of those subjects that... If you're not at least a little bit familiar and believing it's a real thing, you're ignoring like a hundred Bible passages or more. I mean, it's like a real thing in the Bible. So I gave you just a few things. Even the subject of storing up wrath. Look at this. Psalm 79. Pour out your wrath on the nations that do not acknowledge you. This is the psalmist singing to the Lord for him to release eventually the bowls of wrath at the end of the age. I mean, it's ultimately what Psalm 79 verse 6 is about. Uh, Isaiah 13, 3. I've commanded my holy ones, I've summoned my warriors to carry out my wrath. This is God talking. He's, he's owning it. He says, it's my wrath. Isaiah 34. The Lord is angry with all the nations. His wrath has come upon all their armies. They are totally destroyed. That verse is specifically related 100% to the final bowl. Bowl seven. That's, that's what that is right there. And so, I mean, there you've got all laced throughout the word, this subject of the wrath of God. They're called the bowls of his wrath. I already pointed that out, but it's just such an interesting thing when God takes ownership of wrath and he says, mine, that's my wrath. Those are my bowls, and I put my wrath in my bowls, and then I pour out my bowls of wrath when I'm getting ready. He takes great ownership. See, because God is not scared of this. He is not ashamed of his wrath. His wrath is part of his justice. Honestly, things are not okay if the subject of God's wrath is off the table and doesn't exist. Things are not okay because there's too much that should be judged. There's too much deserving God's wrath. There's way too much. If God were to never pour out his wrath, it would be total injustice. So we actually need to like get a hold of this thought process and go, okay, I guess there's a place for it. I mean, you're claiming it's your wrath, so I guess I need to not shy away from it, and I guess I need to get on board with this. I've got a little bit of growth I need to do theologically. Well, I just gave you a couple of the verses there. The totality of judgment. Now, when we talk about the day of the Lord, we've talked about this before. The day of the Lord is not most of the time referring to a 24-hour day, though sometimes. Most of the time, the day of the Lord is referring to the final generation and even the final three and a half years. It's talking about the period when the seals and the trumpets and the bowls are being released. Yes, it is a 24-hour day. He will physically come back in a day, and that is the straight-up day of the Lord. But most of the time when we read about the Bible passages related to the day of the Lord, it's describing the events that are all leading up to that day and including that day. It's a, it's a longer day, if you will. Well, the totality of God's judgment started, I mean, it, there's a lot of starts, but started in a, in a most significant way in the seals being released. And they were intense. But then the trumpet judgments come, and those were even more intense. But even more intense than the trumpets is now the bowls of God's wrath. He's claiming these judgments as his very own bowls of wrath. And when they're pulled out, poured out, you've now got the fullness of judgment. Seals, trumpets, and now the bowls of my wrath poured out, he says. It's pretty intense. It's the fullness of his wrath. Look at these verses. Revelation 14, 10, and then verse 19. They too will drink the wine of God's fury. 
It's talking about the judgments being poured out and specifically the bowls of wrath, which has been poured full strength into the cup of his wrath. 1419, the angel swung his sickle on the earth, gathered its grapes, and he threw them into the great winepress of God's wrath. I just want us to know God is not shying away from this subject. This is something he's very comfortable talking about. It's something that is important to the end time drama. It's important to justice. It's important to right and wrong. Well, this is really cool. This is a really interesting idea next. God's wrath is completed with these judgments. See, that's what it said. It said, and with these plagues, with these final plagues, God's judgment or God's wrath is completed. There's never been a time ever where God's wrath was completed. Never. Because it's being stored up, stored up, stored up. But when these bowls of wrath are released, I want to read it to you. Revelation 15, 1. Seven angels with the seven last plagues last because with them God's wrath is completed. When God's wrath is completed, there's no more wrath. There's no more storing up wrath. There's no more waiting on wrath. Do you know there, there has never been a moment where there wasn't that waiting on wrath? I mean, there's been this constant looming. Wrath is coming. Wrath is coming. Wrath is coming. But when the bowls of wrath have been poured out, his wrath is completed and there will be no more wrath. That is like, wow, what a way to start the millennial kingdom. God in a really good mood. No more wrath. Hey, what are you going to do with those bowls? What are you going to do with them? He's going to leave them up there empty? I mean, maybe they'll be like, you know, trinkets or you know, artifacts. The bowls of God's wrath, and they're empty. I mean, clean. They're upside down. They're hanging upside down. They're lampposts. You just put them upside down on a bowl. Because they're, you don't put anything in them. And we're, we're done. It's never been done. It's going to be done. That is a powerful Beautiful picture. At the same time that the millennial kingdom starts and Satan is locked up in prison, at that same time, God's wrath is completed. No longer storing it up. That's a different age. That is a different hour of human history. Well, let's look briefly, because we're going to spend the next several weeks, and I'll just give you a little uh, heads up. When we come to the questions tonight, don't ask questions about number four because we're going to go deep uh, on all this stuff in the coming weeks. So don't ask me questions about the specifics of the bowls. Just talk about the bowls instead of what bowl one, bowl two, bowl three is. But let's give a little quick overview of these seven bowls. First, it's painful sores. It says ugly and festering sores broke out on the people that had the mark of the beast. Ugh. And they're, they're supernatural because they're, they're, they're prejudice. These sores are prejudice. They don't infect people that don't have the mark. They only infect people who do have the mark. So these festering sores break out only on those that have the mark of the beast, and they don't break out on those that don't. That's intense. You just know you picked the wrong team when you and all your buddies, of course not us because we're going to be walking with Jesus, but when the lost guy that took the mark of the beast and his friends and his family and all the guys and gals that he's, you know, knows in life, they've all got the mark of the beast and they all simultaneously one day break out in painful festering sores. Festering is just a horrible word, isn't it? Just, and they're all like, 
Well, I woke up today with this like we all did. Why? Well, is there only one thing we all got in common? We worship the beast. Well, man, that's that's an intense detail. Number two, second angel poured out his bowl on the sea and it turned to blood like that of a dead person and every living thing in the sea died. This is going to affect the food supply in the most dramatic way of anything. And there's already been a ton of really bad uh, impacts of the food supply. But this is going to be like, there's no greater supplier of food as far as if you needed a single source than the ocean. (laughs) I mean, the ocean supplies the single greatest amount of food. It's also the biggest source. But you're talking about the greatest food supplier on the planet all just turned to blood and everything in it died. Everything. That is a major blow. Next, the water supply is lost. The third bowl gets poured out on the rivers and springs of water and they become blood. Now, this one's even more more challenging than the food one because there are still food sources on the earth but there's now no longer water sources on the earth because the fresh water has all been turned to blood. Now, it's only a matter of time before the remaining population of humanity can't continue to exist anymore if something dramatic doesn't change because they no longer have access to fresh water. And if you don't have fresh water, you can't continue living. So this is like the punch in the face that's the most overt. It's like... No one will make it without supernatural something, either supernatural daily provision for the, for the saints and, and even for those that are being taken care of in the desert and, and even potentially some of the lost that have not yet taken the mark of the beast, but they don't walk with the Lord either. And for sure, if there's not a reversal, if Jesus doesn't show up soon and reverse these curses and cause fresh water from the throne to flow out. And wherever that river flows, teams of living creatures will will spring up. If the Lord doesn't reverse this one fast, humanity cannot continue to exist. This is intense. It's not even the last one. Then you've got the fourth, torment from the sun. The sun gets super hot. It's able, it says it's got searing heat. So I'm just imagining, just making it up. What if we're dealing with like 125 uh, degree days everywhere? 125 searing heat. That would just be so intense. But on top of that, it says that there's like fire bursts, solar flares of some sort, that fires coming from the sun and touching people in addition to it being really, really hot. Really, really hot is problem one. Searing fire is problem two from the sun. That is so terrifying. I mean, we just cannot even imagine what that is. That is horrifying. Demonic darkness is next. It's a darkness that can be felt. It's a a darkness that the world gets plunged into, and it's going to be really intense and horrifying. And it says that in the midst of it, they're in agony, and they're cursing God, and they can't see, and it's dark. I mean, it's so dark, they can't get anything done. Part F. This is the sixth. The sixth uh, bowl, I don't want to go into the details right now. I'll just tell you what's going on here. The sixth bowl is all set up so that the final battle of Armageddon can happen where all the nations have brought their armies. They brought all their, their warfare items, all their tanks, all their everything. They brought everything to the battle for Jerusalem. And there's, I don't know, maybe like 100 million or tens of millions of armed forces that are ready to attack Jesus Christ. It's the most crazy idea ever. Tens of millions of them, maybe more. And they have been gathered together 
so that they can attack Jesus and Jesus is going to whoop them with such ease. It's going to be the most embarrassing fight that's ever happened. That is a judgment because you just think about it. This battle represents all the world's raging pride, arrogance, strength, reliance on self. We've got our armies. We've got our tanks. We've got our weapons of warfare. We've got our nukes. We've got everything ready. And then Jesus just, boom, swipes them out. So this is a major judgment. And then the final one is the earth's annihilation. I always think of Revelation 16, 17, the seventh angel. When you look at the details here, I always imagine the seventh bowl. This isn't really what's going to happen. I just think it's the closest picture I can come up with. It's like God grabs the planet and does the snow globe thing. It's a giant earthquake such as never been seen and about a hundred other terrible things that all happen in relationship to that final judgment where it says the seas wind up overtaking the islands. There's no more islands. They're all gone. It says all the mountains get shaken down somehow. There's no more mountains. No more mountains. No more islands. What has to happen to the planet? I don't know. I just imagine God just picking up the, the globe and just shaking it. It's like, dang, that is really intense. So that's not actually what's going to happen, but it's a pretty good picture. Those are the seven bowls of wrath. Well, by the time all that's happened, you have touched the land, the sea, the rivers and springs, the sun, the throne of the Antichrist kingdom. You've touched the great river Euphrates. You've touched the air. I mean, it's the, the layers and the areas of impact that are going to come with the seven bowls of wrath are going to be so intense. Point I want to make, and we're about done here. We'll break up into groups, is... How much the bowls of wrath are going to reshape the earth? Reshape it. It's going to be different after that. There's just going to be so much that's different and, and felt different and looks different. and It's really, really intense. We're going to spend a whole session, Lord willing, on the changing topography of the earth related to the end time judgments. We're gonna look at what changes because of this, what changes because of this. We're gonna go line item at it. We're gonna do a session on the change of topography. That's the, the ups and the downs and the contours and the, the islands and the, and the land markers, you know, the, the, uh, the natural uh, land markers that separate this from that. What happens when the greatest earthquake that's ever happened, what happens to the Grand Canyon? I don't know, but something. We're going to do a whole session looking at the change of topography on the earth after the, uh, the uh, end time judgments. And man, do the bulls of wrath really touch that. Okay. Well, lastly, I'll just touch on this and, and then we'll be done. I'll break up into groups for conversation. And again, remember when you get to the questions, I'm not even going to answer them if it's a direct question about one of the bowls specifically. Hey, in bowl three, does this happen? We're going to do all that in the coming weeks. Let's talk about the concept of the bowls. Let's talk about the bowls of wrath as opposed to the details of each bowl because we'll get there. These bowls and their explosive impact are intended to prepare the earth for so many things that are coming. So many things to rid the earth of wickedness, to change the topography like we were just talking about, to set the stage for a fresh new start, to set Jesus up, if I can just be honest, as the hero, because he gets to come in and fix all this. This is like the worst. The planet has never been in this bad of shape. And he's going to come in and go, oh, I know how to fix this. I got this. I'm Jesus. I know how to do all this. I thought up those plagues. I certainly know how to vacuum them up when I'm done. 
Like he has got a game plan. And so when Jesus comes back, all those bowls, they are preparatory. They are perfect wisdom. All right, so at this time, we're going to break up into groups. Look how many groups we got tonight. All right, I'll ask, uh, you guys ask the questions and I'll repeat them so that those that are watching online or that listen to the uh, audio later can hear the questions. Caitlin, why don't we just start with you guys in your group? Yeah, not wrath. So, uh, <clears throat> so uh, great question. The question is, uh, the rebellion that happens at the end of the millennium where everyone gathers and they're coming to attack the city and, uh, and Satan is leading them. This is after a thousand years of imprisonment, uh, but it's after the millennial reign. And now there's all these people outside the camp of God and they're coming to attack. And this effortless moment occurs where God just like goes <laughs> and fire falls down and consumes all of them. The, you just have to imagine we're talking about like a billion or 10 billion people or more and it's over in a second it's not even wrath it's like it's like, just, it's like nah <laughs> it's, just, it's not wrath because I thought about it I was like because it made it really clear with this the wrath of God is completed and the language that's related to that passage in Revelation chapter 20 when that fire falls it it sounds so like effortless and easy and not it's not even wrath it's like it's like just no i mean it, there is something about it that is going to be just so immediately dealt with that it's almost like god didn't have time to get mad i mean it, it just it just it comes and it's over in a second it's the exact opposite of the accusation that they're like, you know, some consider God slow in dealing with things in judgment. Man, when they gather together, they march up and there's no like seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bowls to judgment. All this. It's just they gather and they're gone in an instant. And so when you look at the premeditation related to all of God's wrath passages, the feel of it is completely different than, the, I mean, if you just think about it, it's like all this like built up, pent up, you know, it's all this, all the sins of man. And it's, man, that picture there is kind of like just, just do judgment, justice. It's just done. And so uh, if you didn't like my answer, it still isn't God's wrath and I can't explain it any better than that. Okay, um, Andy. All right, so uh, the verse was uh, Isaiah, which one, 13? Yeah, so Isaiah 13, 3, I've commanded my holy ones, I've summoned my warriors to carry out my wrath, those who rejoice in my triumph. Um, so here's the couple of points. The question is, who are these and kind of how does that partner with the bulls of wrath? Well, you remember I told you that the, um, the sixth bowl is the gathering together for the final battle of Armageddon. Well, the way that God's wrath is expressed on those that gather for the battle of Armageddon is he's got all his holy ones behind him in an army. Revelation 19, starting at about verse 11 or so. He's got this army of the saints that are coming. That army is this holy ones. Who is it? Is it just a few? It's everyone who rejoices in his triumph. Well, at that point, when you're standing with Jesus, you just got a resurrected body. And don't forget, one of my favorite parts of the resurrected body that we don't think about probably nearly enough is your mind is part of your body. 
your brain. You get a resurrected brain. You get a resurrected mind, meaning you're thinking like he thinks, seeing things as he sees, in agreement with his justice, in agreement with the way that he is and how he, how he operates. So this group of the holy ones in uh, uh, Isaiah 13, it's the army of the saints that's marching behind Jesus into the final battle for Jerusalem. Uh, those probably uh, you would think of as the battle of Armageddon. Uh, and he's marching in all his holy ones with him to enact his wrath, which is part of the bulls of wrath. It's actually bull six being enacted. It's, it's, it's real time happening. Um, so is that more or less answer question? Got it. Got it. You're, so you're making the distinction of that word warrior and thinking of like males of fighting age, kind of a thought process. Okay. Well at this point, everybody's got a resurrected body and, I'm just thinking it's probably going to be pretty unfair if a bunch of people's resurrected bodies are like 98-year-old grandpa that was barely able to make it. And now, congratulations, grandpa, you got a resurrected body, and it's really not any better than the one you died with. So I, I, I can't prove... I can't prove this statement, but I have the assumption that everyone's resurrected body will be a body of an age that would be defined as the prime of life. And it, it could, it's reasonable that that would even be 30 to 33, kind of, you know, that was when Jesus' ministry time, somewhere around there. That's how I've always pictured that. I won't be dogmatic about that point. But whatever it is, their body will be fully fit. So even if they look old, they will be as able-bodied as the male of fighting age, you know, that's drafted into the army. So, um, all right, uh, let's go here. Okay. So the question is, uh, Revelation 4, 8 says of the four living creatures, they never stop saying, holy, holy, holy. Here in Revelation chapter 15, verse 3, 7, verse 7, uh, it says that one of the four living creatures is giving these uh, seven angels the bowls of wrath. So the question is, did they stop saying, holy, holy, holy? Or how is it that they stopped saying, holy, holy, holy? What's going on there? Well, it's actually not the first time that we've seen them do things. Um, so you look at the, uh, pretty sure it's the seals. Um, yeah, first, the first four seals, it says, when the lamb opened the second seal, I heard a second living creature say, come. So this living creature had to say the word come in order to get the, uh, the, the seal, uh, horse to go do what it was going to do. Okay. There's other places that we see the same, uh, concept. And that is the four living creatures doing activity that is beyond saying, holy, holy, holy. So what's going on here? couple thoughts. One, one of their mouths is still saying, holy, holy, holy. They've got four. And another is saying, come. <laughs> That's possible. Okay. I mean, it, that wouldn't shock me. I mean, they're multitaskers. You know, I mean, they could, they got four faces on each side of their head. So one of them could be saying, come, you know, they could still be holy, holy, holy over here. And this dude's serving up a dish. He's giving this guy a bowl. That's possible. Second, and I'm, I am not going to be dogmatic about this point, but there, there is, I, I have question if there might in fact be two separate groups of four living creatures. And uh, my reasoning for that is the way that they're pictured in Revelation, uh, in Revelation and the way that they're pictured in Ezekiel 1 are slightly different, even their geographic location in relationship to the throne. Now, maybe it's the same group and they've just moved, but I've got enough reason to wonder if that might be the case. Um, so... It, it also serves just along that thought process. And again, I am not going to hold the line on this like, this is truth. I'm, I'm just telling you what I believe and why I believe it. 
uh, is that it would actually serve with a measure of reasonability that the uh, that there's like the priesthood and the operation of the priesthood has got divisions of priests. It would serve to reason that that might that we actually inherited that concept. And that that wasn't a brand new idea for planet Earth, but that was an idea in heaven before. And that there might actually be the four living creatures and the four living creatures. The four, I, I don't know. Maybe that's not the way that it is. Um, but in either case, um, these four living creatures, we've got multiple examples of them doing things besides saying, holy, holy, holy. You've got examples. Again, you go to Ezekiel 1 and Ezekiel 10. They're doing things. They're going places. They're doing things and going places unrelated to the throne in heaven. Related to the throne, just it's moving. But anyway, it, there's, there's a number of places that add the additional components to the activity of the four living creatures beyond them only, only standing saying, holy, holy, holy. So there's a couple of different theories for you to be able to look at and proof it with, your, with the Bible and go and have a feast. All right, Luke, and worship leader, you can come on up. Yeah, so the question is, the bowls of wrath related to the flood, uh, when did these bowls of wrath start getting filled? Is it possible that they were being filled before the flood and then at the flood they got poured out and that then they started getting filled up again? Or were the bowls being filled even before the flood and when the flood happened, that did not pour out the bowls, but the bowls have only continued to accumulate wrath uh, since that time. I, I could go with either. Um, the, it would be difficult to get like to hold the line real hard on that one, I think, just because it would be an argument from silence. There's not anything that I can think of that says it's specifically related to the wrath of God and the flood, which the language of God pouring out uh, the flood I, I, I am not immediately running through five or ten scriptures that actually refer to that as the wrath of God. Now, we would look at it and go, certainly was God pouring out something. But I, don't, I can't think of, and that doesn't mean it's not there, but I can't think of a bunch of scriptures that specifically in the Bible refer to the flood as God's wrath being poured out. Um, so it would stand to me that, uh, that they, they really could be separate events, but worst case scenario, God pours out his, his wrath, uh, you know, uh, at the flood and it restarts and that, that God's saying, you know, I'm never going to do it this way again and gives us the rainbow, uh, you know, covenant promise. Uh, he's actually approaching maybe that same concept from a different scenario. I would say that the flood and the bowls of wrath do have a number of parallels and things in common. They change the topography of the earth. You know, that's another giant one that the flood did. Uh, they're total in judgment. They're global. They're, you know, they're poured out. The whole concept of pouring, when we were studying the seals, trumpets, and bowls, uh, the pouring is the immediate, the, you know, the deluge, the now, the fullness, you know, happening. That was very much a picture that we saw uh, with the flood. So I think there's a lot of uh, parallels there, and I'm not exactly sure uh, which it is. So great question, though. These were all really, really good questions tonight. This concludes this teaching from the prayer room. For more resources or to schedule another TPR teacher to come speak at your church or event, please see our website at theprayerroomdfw.com. Thank you.